Okay, why don't we reward you for coming back? Well, assuming it's a reward. <laughs> so, why don't we just uh, take a little time to take stock of where we've come from um, and ask any questions or make any comments you'd like to at, at this stage. And then we're going to spend some time looking at where are we seeing these sort of things happen today and how do we apply what we've learnt to our, our lives and ministries. Yeah. Yes, thanks. Thanks for all this. Uh, I, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit more about, um, I guess, some of the things that happen in that maturity phase. Um, you know, things like uh, churches being constituted, you know, and then um, associations being formed and, and networks that happen and even seminaries and, and that kind of thing. And just, uh, uh, I guess, if if you could speak to the, the value of those things and, uh, and then also how, uh, how that can uh, fuel growth and, and help with growth instead of uh, just becoming institutions unto themselves and, and kind of, you know, fate, uh, I guess, leading to decline in some ways. Uh, can, yeah. Does that make sense, what I'm asking? Yeah. Um, you know, even if we hit prime eventually this this happens and this happens uh, and it's what what a guy called Thomas O'Day a sociologist called institutional dilemmas a, a dilemma is that whatever you choose to do um, it's you're going to have trouble but you have to make a choice and so the dilemma is, remember here we're putting in building blocks, methods and uh, structures that facilitate growth and life. The dilemma is you can't expand in depth and breadth without some of those building blocks. Um, on the other hand, eventually, those, Winston Churchill had this saying, um, uh, we we shape our buildings and after that they shape us so um, it's a dilemma but you know there are simple organisms they're called amoebas but if you want a, a human body you're going to have to have some complexity and some organization so you've got it's 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 a dilemma it's in, and, and that's why we said with Prime, it's a moving target. You're continually having to adapt and change, and yet you need to lock some things in to get something done. You know, hey, this is effective. Let's do it and train everybody. All of a sudden, it's taking off. Um, and yet down the track, we're locked into this methodology or this pattern, and we find security in it. Um, and so, actually, sooner or later, these institutions you've built for very good reasons will trap you. It just, there are no exceptions to this. Sooner or later, and yet, it's right that you did those things, okay? It's a little bit like, sometimes the best thing we can do is become a parent or a grandparent or a great-grandparent. In other words, we're not all that flexible, okay? We're not, you know, I'm probably not ready to go 
uh, pioneering, well, maybe I will, I don't know, but to do some of the early things that I did. I'm not that crazy anymore, you know? But I can be a father and a grandfather. And so sometimes the most effective thing we can do, even if we're going into this maturity phase, is to help birth new things, start some new life cycles, become a parent and a grandparent. And then you're renewed. You might find yourself, well, I will hop on a bicycle, even though I haven't been on one in years, because my grandson needs, you know, needs me. Okay, and, and that new life uh, begins to renew us. Um, so it's a, it's a dilemma. And there aren't any easy answers, except there is the hope that even though the second law of thermodynamics is working, you know, that the universe is winding down. So even though this is happening, um, God is continually doing new things and bringing renewal. It's just sometimes, organizationally, we may have a lifespan. And, you know, Harvard, Princeton, Yale, they're all Christian colleges. A number of them were started to train missionaries and pastors where are they now what the YMCA it was a missionary evangelistic movement okay this is just the pattern of history um, and you say well well that's a bit depressing no because God's bringing renewal and he does bring new life but other times just out here on the fringe, he does something new. So one of the best things you can do is have children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren and be renewed by the word, the spirit, and the mission. Yeah. Yeah. This is being recorded and will be posted after. Okay. So that's why we need oh, the mic. There's a few things I need to withdraw then. <laughs> we'll, we'll fix it all. All right. Um, what are some of the characteristics of renewal? Like, what are some of the, maybe even some of the methods to, to begin to work towards renewal? You talked a little bit about a return to identity and talk about, like, how there's a lot of bureaucracy involved in some of that. Can you talk about some of the times where you've seen some of those things historically and what some of the characteristics have been? Yeah, well, the Moravians are a great case study or, um, you know, the, the one I mentioned with uh, Peter at Cornelius' house or even between the resurrection and Pentecost. What's Jesus doing? Let's return to the living word of God and, and let's get back to Ting Tax. Um, wait for the promise that the Father is going to give you the power of the Spirit. And let me remind you that this gospel um, of repentance for the forgiveness of sins is going to go to the ends of the earth. So he's just saying, guys, this, it's like is it that, that story of Vince, Vince Lombardi, the football coach, where you know at halftime in a, in a major match, or it might have been at the beginning of the season, the first training or something, he pulls this object out of his bag and says, gentlemen, this is a football. And every now and again, that's what we have to do. We ha just have to ask this, the question, okay, in this church, in this college, in this ministry, when was the last time 
a person far from God came to know Christ. And what are they doing now? Are we seeing people make disciples and form new churches to the glory of God? Is that happening? And what what are we there in, you know, um, you know, one of the if I was one of the best things a college like this is, is some of the stories I'm hearing from George and others where, hey, we too are out in the harvest. You know, I'm the important international guest speaker and I'm waiting on the curb, right? While George has his window wound down in his, his pickup truck and he's grasping the hand of the security guy or the policeman and talking to him about Jesus and praying for him. Well, I had to wait on the curb for all that to happen, okay? Well, you've just got to be close to the action. Um, you've, got, you've got to go to where you see God at work. You've got to say, okay, people do come to us at this. Well, how do we take lifelong, just-in-time um, uh, training to people in the field? Um, so that the college is serving uh, what God is doing out there on the fringes, because not everybody can come to this college. Um, it's saying this is our mission, not to perpetuate ourselves, but to perpetuate and serve this move of God. So you've just got to keep coming. Remember, renewal is baking an innovative return or a fresh return to our identity. Any other comments or yeah so so uh, with respect to organizations and institutions, uh, not that I'm thinking about my paycheck next month, but um, you know uh, you so, get paid How yes, does that yes. <laughs> uh, so uh, you know seminaries and, and yeah. churches you know they like you're saying they, they have a lifespan. Um, and, uh, you know, with, you know the, so they may be positively correlated with a movement or they may be neutral or they may be negatively correlated yeah. with a movement. And uh, in this decline and dec decay phase that you've got there, mm. you know, it seems to me at that point they're negatively correlated. Yeah. Right? Yeah. They're, they're, they're a problem. Mm. They're not even neutral. <laughs> yeah. They're opposing um, that movement of God. Right, right. So, um, and it's a little bit related to this question over here. Uh, how, you know, organizations and institutions have a certain, uh, they exist sometimes in order just to perpetuate their own existence. Yeah, that's when a movement has become an institution right. where it's no longer serving the cause, but it's seeking to perpetuate itself. Right, right, right. So do you have any stories of people breaking people or organizations breaking out of this decline or decay phase? Well, the Moravians are, are not a bad one. Right. Um, you know, I, I, I think uh, there's a number of renewal efforts going on around the Southern Baptist churches. And, and the great thing for the renewal of a movement is the autonomy of the local church. Because if it's all centrally controlled and if the center owns the property, um, you know, we, we've got evangelicals um, who, who said, look, we've just got to leave this in Australia, this uniting church thing, because they're, they're many of them opposing the gospel now and, and 
Christian sexual ethics and the like. Um, but to do that, you know, we're going, to, we're going to walk away from, you know, millions of dollars of property that faithful believers have given sacrificially in this generation and previous one. So will, are we willing to walk away? Because it's all centrally owned. <coughs> And that's going to, that, that makes the renewal of a mo, you know, the autonomy of the local church. We can rip our hair out and say, oh, you know, it's like herding cats and all of that. But it, it, it is a good principle. But it's not our mission to save institutions. As much as we love them because this is what we've come from and, and God loves them too. But... It's our mission to seek and to save the lost and to make disciples and multiply churches to the glory of God. And so you've got to discern, Lord, what are you? And often the Lord says, yeah, I want this. These are my people. But it's not ultimately our mission isn't to save this particular institution or organization. Our, we, have, we have a... We have marching, we have the core missionary task. And so some of us are called to work within, but it's never like if we fix this, then we can do the real stuff, okay? Um, you, you do it at the same time. You want fresh stories in whatever you're doing because the new thing that God is doing, which is really getting back to the old thing, helps unfreeze, either in opposition, but also in attraction. It gives us, it's no use doing that demographic studies and our vision and values and all of this stuff for the church. You know, what you need to do is let's go find some people far from God and see what God, see what Jesus does through ordinary people. Now you're ready. If you want to change your vision and values and all of that, that's fine now because now you're unfrozen. You're, you know, you're in Cornelius' house and the Spirit fell upon us. And we baptized him, even though we didn't have authority to do that. <laughs> you know, we welcomed him into the body of Christ, even though we're going to now have a big church fight in, in Acts 15. Peter's just, we're just going to do this. And that brings renewal, and, but some will resist it. So make sure you keep the main thing the main thing. And the other principle from the rabbi, Edmund Friedman, wrote a number of books about applying sort of family systems theory to churches and synagogues. And he says, a leader in any situation is a self-defined person. They know who they are. They have their identity. So they're a self-defined person with a non-anxious presence. So they're connected. Okay, and they're not all freaked out and trying to control and overreact and all of that. This is Jesus, right? And this is how you fix or your only hope of fixing a dysfunctional system, whether it's a denomination, a church or a family or a marriage. So what, how does this look like in Jesus' leadership and, and his change agency? Well, you know, some guy's just been lowered through the roof and is there on the floor and he needs healing and he needs his sins forgiven and the house is packed we could dismiss the meeting and do it all quietly because 
then there'll be no trouble. We won't offend anyone. But he just, he's relaxed. He just says, okay, why don't we just forgive the guy's sins and heal him? And part of the spin-off of that is these guys, will their hearts will either melt or they'll want to kill me. So now it's like he's just, he's self-defined. I'm going to do this. We're going to heal on the Sabbath, you know. I'm going to forgive sins. But he's also got a non-anxious presence because he could, he could split off from Israel and just say, I'll do this out here. Well, now he's self-defined, but he's not present. He's not connected. Or he could be really connected, but not self-defined. So he's just reflecting his environment. So if you want to bring change in any system, just look at how Jesus dealt with authority and conflict and all of that. So every now and again, you know, we're just going to cause trouble. You know, not, not just in a bitter reactionary way. But, so don't try and bring the change in the church. You know, it's like um, Kyle. What's Kyle's second name from <coughs> East West? Pearson. In Dallas, you know, and some pastor rings him up. I want some training. He said, oh, fine, fine. Are you free tomorrow afternoon? Um, we'll go out in the apartment complex near you. He said, no, 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 you don't understand. I need some training. I need to take my church through. Said, That's fine, fine. Let's just go out for an hour and see what happens. Well, that guy's life is transformed. He's leading people to Christ on that first day. Okay. So now you have something's getting a hold of you and you're ready to invite others into that. And they may or may not buy in. Okay? But that's what unfreezes the system. Yeah. All right. One more and then we'll hear from some other people. Yeah. Yeah, we want we want this on record, you know. <laughs> so you be careful. Are you what sure? You say. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I I was hoping maybe you could share with us some guiding questions that would be good for us to ask ourselves as we're in the birth, growth, uh, maturity, and prime phase, um, so that we could self-check um, to make sure that. Uh, we're keeping to the first commandment, it's, which it seems like a lot of this conversation kind of encompasses um, to have no other gods before us. Uh, yeah, that we don't have mm. methods don't become an, an idol. And um, yeah. All things can, can become an idol. Prayer can become an idol. Worship can become an idol. Studying the Bible can become an idol. Um, all of these things are, and the wonderful thing is God's ability to step in and disrupt us, you know. Um, and so, you know, having to do evangelism can become an idol. Uh, so, you know, I, I think there's no better corrective than just immersing ourselves in the scriptures, um, being a part of a, a group of people, a team, a group that has a heart to, to do these things and to uh, allow, to follow Christ and allow Him to teach you how to f 
fish for people. So don't do that in isolation. Get some training. Nothing better with, not alone, but with others, stepping in to the harvest, whatever that looks like in your world. Um, so you saw some wonder, come over here, over here. You saw some wonderful stuff happen in South Asia, and we won't delve into that. Over a period of about 10, to year, 10 years, you saw some movements happening in India and Nepal. But then you came back to the US, and this is when we first met, I guess, or just after that. You know, it was after the war, I think, Jen. Is that right? Yeah. Um, and, and you were down here thinking, Lord, what you've done in other parts of the world, can we see movement? Here? Can we see multiplying disciples and churches here in a Western setting? What was it like to be in this place? Um, that's a good question. Um, I think uh, one thing is um, when you, you come out of, it, it's literally like when you're in, you experience sort of journey one, journey two, journey three in South Asia, for example. And you sort of, you're, you're following, okay, here's journey one. This is what I'm experiencing, zero to one, planting the first church. Journey two, a little more discovering and planting churches. And um, I don't know where I'm supposed to be. And then journey three, a lot more discovering of, you know, believers. And, um, you know, and you sort of, I guess you're like, you're just expectant, you know, that this is what God does. So when you come back here and you're like, okay, this is the way it's worked. And now you're going... I have no idea how it works here. So, that, so there's one side. There's a you, there's a confidence in the promises of God, because mm. I would say I went to South Asia because of Southeastern, honestly, with a trust in the promises of God. Um, so yeah, there's there's vision, big vision to do something, but it's the trusting in the promises of God, trusting that He desires the knowledge of God. The knowledge of God is glorious, you know, and it's mm. well. We say God is glorious, and He. His glory is through the nations. What's lacking is the knowledge of God. His promise will be fulfilled. There will be the knowledge of His glory. That will happen. So I think there's one side here is just going, okay, I believe, I got to trust and believe the promises. Mm -hmm. And I got to trust and believe the word is true wherever it's at, whatever season it's at. And the bottom line is, can, can, you can I be content if I go out every day and you just pray? And whether anybody believes or not, if I go out, share the gospel, or pray with somebody, um, and that's all I do. And I train anybody in anything that moves, but nothing else happens. Am I content in who Christ is and what he's doing if that's all I were ever to do the rest of my life? And so at this point, you're sort of wrestling with, it's, it is the identity piece. Can I trust the promises of God? Um, is his word true? But you're also wrestling with how do we do this stuff here? Does it, you know, wasn't there a time, Amy, where you were out, was it in Henrietta? And um, you were out and you, you started the day, you're visiting homes and you started the day thinking, I don't know if this can, I'm not sure this can work in America. Do you remember that day? Yeah. Because you're going house to house and then was it? Yeah. Tracy or someone like, anyway, on the porch, they're drinking tea. Do you remember that story? 
I know your life yes. better than you do. I, you do. <laughs> you know, why don't you? Yeah. Speak? Tell, no, no. I want to hear it for you. What was God doing in that that time? What was happening for you? Um. Well, there was always a question because we saw so much going on in South Asia and things were really starting to take off. And then God called us home, which doesn't happen. Mm. He calls people to the mission field, but not back home. What, what's up with that? So there was a lot of disillusionment, I guess, as to why he called us back. And so how you get started in a different context. We're insiders here in America, but how do you get started in this? Um, so actually, Jeff um, had called our local police station and had just asked, give us your top 10 911 call areas. And so we figured they need Jesus, right? <laughs> so we took the top three, and um, the church that was just meeting in our home at the time, we just started prayer walking those three areas. And the church was just made up of some friends and some family. Um, and so, yes, we were out in this one area and had been praying and just talking to people, um, but not seeing anyone really believe or accept. No lives changed, nothing miraculous. It was much, much slower than in South Asia. And so there was one morning that before we started, we would always pray together first. And so the question was, should we really be here? Is this really what we're supposed to be doing and where we're supposed to be? And so Jeff said, well, just ask for God to tell us today to just reveal that. Is this where we're supposed to be? So we started prayer walking and sort of broke up. And that is when actually um, Jeff's parents, who are part of our group, actually met um, this one couple and they had invited them up onto their porch and they were extremely poor so didn't want them to come into the house but they could come up on the porch and they said they actually said you're here because we really need to hear what you have to say and so that was just okay thanks god for that answer to prayer and so that's where if you've ever heard the stories of the church on the porch, that's where that came from. Is they started gathering the community actually there on the porch to start hearing stories of Jesus and start hearing the gospel and praying for each other. And believers came out of that in a church. And so in this sort of time, you're wrestling with can we trust God for a breakthrough here? You're also wrestling with how do we do this in America compared to India and Nepal? The other thing that's going on though is, and you're, you're committing to action. You're saying, e even if it doesn't work, we're gonna do this because it's right. And, and, and then along the way, God is doing a couple of things as, as I've heard your story He's building, he's connecting with you, with, with people all around the country and us in Australia and other places, mm -hmm. with people who, is, who are wrestling with the same things. And you're beginning to sort of think, okay, here are the methods, here are the strategies, piece by piece, a bit like John Wesley. 
You're sort of stumbling, you're failing forward to discover what is this thing that God is doing. Is that, does that sort of, do you want to speak into that? Yeah, well, I'd say, you know, we sort of started with what we knew worked in South Asia, but you started realizing it doesn't work exactly right. So you start tweaking and morphing things, not knowing, it's like throwing jello on the wall. You just see it, throw it on the wall, see what sticks. But just go out and try it. And then, um, but as you go, you start, you know, really starting to hone some things. Because, you know, in the Word, there's, uh, for anybody who's separated from God, there's a solution in the Word. And so you start finding, hey, if I use this story from the Word of God, this, this works better, you know. Uh, Angie just taught Daniel to the Kurds, and we saw an immediate response wow. with the Kurds just got lit up about going to share with other Kurdish people because they saw themselves in the book of Daniel. You know, and so there were little things we found here that worked in a place like Booger Holler that uniquely to Booger Holler don't mean they necessarily work among Kurds, but God's got little pieces in here. And so I think some of it was just start with something that worked in a movement and then tweaking and morphing it as you're going with a lot of repetition, hundreds of reps, not just a few reps. And then I think the other big piece here was fasting and prayer um, was just getting um, one big breakthrough was when about we had about in two or three counties about 70 people got together and fasted and prayed for I think about 21 days and that was like a huge breakthrough but there's almost I mean it's just a history you can go back in South Asia you can go forward from this point in time there's something about these times of fasting and prayer mm -hmm. where there's breakthrough mm -hmm. doesn't mean anything changed methodologically mm -hmm. or Sometimes God just flips a switch. I, I don't know, mm. but I just know fasting and prayer is, has been a key piece of all that. But that was one of the big pieces was um, fasting and prayer. And on the, on the surface, you're also, it's not just what methods of gospeling and discipleship and church formation. You're, you and the others who are joining now around the country, around the world are saying, well, you know, we, we really need to get, to get the practitioners together and debrief, identify where they're stuck, let them speak into one another's lives, let them then commit to what's, what they're going to do going forward. So all of a sudden this thing called the mid-level emerged uh, or others have said, you know, we really need to help people get into the breadth of Scripture, discover this whole movements thing in the Word, and learn some skills uh, to, to, to sort of move, to implement. And now we've got this Four Fields Intensive that runs over four days. And there are these different building blocks that you're, you're, you're discovering, you and others are discovering along the way. Um, I like Wesley did, you know, like Jesus had. Here's, here's some building blocks that enable this thing to spread beyond any individual. And I, I'm just thinking, you, you trained a, a, a guy up the back there called Troy Cooper. And he started running these four fields intensives. And he, he came out to Australia with a whole tribe of people and we, we ran them together in Australia. A couple of hundred people have been trained um, this year in that sort of biblical foundations and the simple tools and then out in, out in the harvest. 
across, in one year, we've got a couple of hundred people who are doing this across Australia. Same thing happened in the United Kingdom. But at the last one, Troy didn't bother to turn up. It's shocking, isn't it? And, and there's a, a young guy in his 20s by the na name of Rick Priato. And he comes out to equip the Aussies now to run these intensives around the country and then follow up with these mid-levels. And uh, he does far better than Troy could ever do. Um, and, but better still, the next Four Fields Intensive will be run completely by Australians and Troy will come up out and just sit up the back and help them do it. And so here's some building blocks that within the space of one or two years, we now ha will have a national network of practitioners and people who can train and mobilize. So all of that is going on and it's still going on. Is that, do you want to say something about, I've said a lot about it, but is that what you've seen? There's this prayer and fasting, but there's also the hard work of here's the tools, here's the building blocks. Yeah, well, I think the bottom line is try and imitate Jesus the best we can. He's unique in this being Christ, you know, the God-man. But there's a lot of things we can imitate. And so one, you know, Jesus never went anywhere alone. So imitating Jesus. But if you look at the first part of the life of Christ, it's all him sort of doing it. Then you start to see the second part of his life, and there's sort of this model assist watch stage. Well, he did the modeling, but now there's assist watch stage where he's now sending the disciples, and they're going and doing it. And then we get to the end of his life and before the uh, ascension, you know, and they're completely doing it. And now he's, he ascends, he sends a spirit and sets them free to go mm -hmm. do it. In the same way, then the spirit, you know, we, we watch mm -hmm. the book of Acts, and you literally see the same thing in the life of Paul. You see sort of a zero to one in the first journey. Zero to one is? Gospeling, starting churches in the Galatian region. Um, you know, so you see a very different picture here. Then you see journey two, and you see them picking up people from the first journey, uh, Timothy, and then they're going on the second journey. And he's following up, but now they're starting new work, but they're discovering stuff as they go. But to me, it's, a, it's, a, it's again, imitating over here, we're imitating what Jesus did. If we watch Paul, there's a very similar imitation of what Christ did, of him imitating some of the, the methodologies. I don't know if that's the right way to say it, but imitating the, the what Christ did. Ministry. The patterns of Christ. Yeah. And so uh, I think part of this is just learning, one, to trust the patterns of Christ. That, you know, if um, don't trust in a method. Um, I think this is why reading the, you know, if we talk about right here, but we think about word, works, wineskin. So mm -hmm. always train people to go back to the word. Don't trust in the method. Go back to the word. Mm -hmm. Works is, man, I'm going to look at history. I'm going to look at church history. I'm going to look at movement history. I'm going to look at what God's done. But somewhere in the midst of this is the new wineskin that mm -hmm. fits for this context. So in South Asia, the new wineskin looked different. Um, say then America versus refugees in a European city but it's still always going to go back to the word but take a look at similar practices that were in movements but make sure the new wineskin is uh, there but a wineskin is only there for a season mm. but the word will not fade away so we got to keep to me that's where we keep going back here to the word and dig into the works and a wineskin but keep keep going back to the word are and you that, telling me the movements podcast will serve its purpose but not be eternal 
Probably not. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> but for a time. <laughs> okay. And this is just my observation. In different places, and it's, it's not just the this, this sort of stream and networks that you're part of, but this is happening all over the Western world as we see the movements in the developing world and as God is shifting people around the globe, there are all sorts of initiatives like you've been a part of in No Place Left that are popping up. We're part of something truly amazing. They may have different labels and different relationships, but this, this is a greater movement of God. And in places, we're already seeing this, it's taking off. And the wonderful thing, because you and others have played a pioneering role here. You've, been, you've drawn others into this whole growth and building phase. But I don't think you should do this, but you could go off and say, I'm just going to hunt and fish the rest of my life, okay? And this would hardly miss a beat. No. I mean, you would be missed, okay? But you're not controlling this, are you? You're, you're, you're watching your children and your grandchildren and great-grandchildren um, really pick up the challenge and, and go for it. So it's, it's not a centrally controlled thing. And it's part of, there are, there are signs of new life all over the place alongside of, of what you're doing. So thank you. Okay. This is what I, I would leave you with. You are a part of something far bigger than you realize. You know, the engine room of history and certainly of the history of God's movement is the multiplication of movements in all their diversity yet in their common cause of the word, the spirit and the core missionary task. This is happening all over the world. And uh, it's happening here in the U.S. and we're, we're catching up in Australia and Europe. Um, you are a part, if, if you signed up for this, you're a part of something that is unprecedented in human history. You know, we have never seen movements of multiplying disciples and churches amongst Muslim background people. It's never happened until this generation. Um, you know, I, I like to say if, you know, if your children and grandchildren, if you're worried that maybe they'll drift away from the Lord because of the state of the church, don't worry because the Koreans, the Brazilians and the Nigerians and the Nepalis are coming. <laughs> so now we're going to a world where we're not just let's go to Nepal and help them reach Nepal. No, we'll go to Nepal because we're going to be partners together in reaching the nations. This is a wonderful time. This is the lead up to, the, to finishing the task and Christ's return. I'm not giving you a date. I'm just saying these are unprecedented times. And you'll drive home tonight and you'll think, yes, yeah, Steve, but look at the things I'm facing and oh, my team, they're not together. And, you know, um, we, we, Michelle and I arrived in England. And we just did, I just think you've just got to go do what's right. So we're in the harvest, we're training and mobilizing people all over the country. 
and trusting God. And after about a year, I met this guy called Russell Godwood, and he and his wife had just been through an awful experience of losing their 21-year-old son to cancer. You know, they had had the dark night of the soul. But Russell was saying, I want to give my life. He's a pastor of 20 years. I want to give my life to making disciples. So I said, hey, go away and take about the next three months off and just spend some more time grieving and finding God in your loss. It had been about a year and, you know, you've been grieving for a year. So go. I don't want to see you for another three months. And then when you come back, we'll give you some training. And, um, you know, while we were working hard at training and mobilizing people, God was preparing Russell, Russell Godwood. He was a gift from God. I wake up every day and I thank God for Russell Godwood. You know, there's a reason we're back in Australia. Because he's got multiplying teams now in 11 of the 12 regions of the United Kingdom. This guy's just spent his fourth year of doing 30 days in the harvest. And I remember the days he said, I'm out in the harvest, but if I'm not around, my team doesn't go out in the harvest, you know. Well, now he's got multiple teams over his local region and throughout the nations. And he's become something. Do you know what I mean? His identity through, through the suffering and finding God in that, through his obedience, to fulfill the Great Commission in his nation and to go to the nations, he's become a different person. He embodies this. But it's in all the mess and disappointments of life and the setbacks and all of that, but the glory of God shines through. And we're all part of this great journey. We're all part of this. You are a part, if you've signed up for this, and God is going to change you from the inside out and make you like his son. And Jesus in Luke, he says, not, you know, go to the nation. He says that in Matthew. He says, this gospel for the forgiveness of sins will be preached to the nations. It's going to happen. Jesus rose from the dead. He still leads the way. And you and I are a part of this great cause. Isn't it wonderful? Even in the disappointments, he's there. He's been in the disappointments. And he's there with us. Isn't this a wonderful thing? I'm going to pray for you. Father, I thank you for everyone here today. They're here because they want to serve you, Lord. They want to be part of something bigger and greater, which is your work to redeem lost people from the judgment of God and eternity without you and to bring them into your family, to adopt them and to raise up for yourself a people that will display your glory and take the glorious gospel to the ends of the earth. And Lord, we struggle at times. Every one of us sort of wonders, am I really making a contribution? Is this real? And yet, like Jesus, we want to find you on the mountaintop when we hear your voice and feel the power of your Holy Spirit 
And like Jesus, we want to know you in the wilderness testing. And in our need and brokenness, we want to cast ourselves on you and say, it is written. And like Jesus, Lord, would you return us to our mission field that we would return in the power of the Holy Spirit to set free the captives, to see your glory displayed throughout all the earth. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.